he and I are jointly holding that prestigious award. And so I welcome Garland Nixon with a special warmth this evening, Garland, from one award winner to another. I'd like to say I've never been in better company uh, than with you tonight and as one of the distinguished alumni uh, of that uh, award. Uh, give me a word on that and then I'll ask you about Elon Musk, if I may. Yes, um, I would like to, uh, you know, say that I am highly honored. I'd like to thank um, the many people involved, the people particularly over the Black Agenda Report and the Black Alliance for Peace and all of the people who are involved. Um, you know, when we do... Um, when we cover the news um, as journalists, uh, oftentimes, you know, we don't think of the dangers. We don't think of the, the reality that these powerful entities around the world are opposing us. Um, we just say what we believe is true. And um, I'm always surprised when someone um, recognizes it or someone sees that as anything other than just, you know, a human being feeling as though they have to say the things that are critical and I have to um, expose the, the contradictions of empire as I see them. Amen to that. Now, you and I have a checkered history uh, with uh, Elon Musk. Neither of us would describe him as our BFF. Uh, but he has made Twitter more free for most people uh, than it was hitherto. He has refused to cooperate with the deep state more than the previous regime cooperated with them. And now his life is at risk and his businesses are under threat, including the business of Twitter itself. And the latest casus belli, or two of them, uh, is that somehow he has facilitated a rise of anti-Semitism uh, on the Twitter platform by not banning people like thee and me from making legitimate criticisms made, by the way, by many brave people in Israel itself of the crimes of the Netanyahu government. But most significantly, he's under real threat because he refused to allow his Starlink to facilitate a Pearl Harbor attack on the Russian Navy in Sebastopol that would almost certainly have triggered World War III. I think in these circumstances, we've got to say at least two cheers for Elon Musk, don't you? Uh, absolutely. You know, I think that and as you know, I'm, you know, thrown off of Twitter right now and working towards taking action against Twitter. But I think part of the things uh, the th one of the things that people have to remember when people like you or I are still getting some level of, um, uh, of of censorship on Twitter is that it is a giant bureaucracy and that before Elon Musk took over Twitter, um, it was stuffed with spooks. I mean, it's loaded with people who are former CIA and FBI and NSA, et cetera, three letters 
letter agency people. So even if um, Elon Musk intends to do the right thing, uh, they made sure that they stuffed it with uh, people that would make it very difficult for him to do that. Additionally, another issue that Elon Musk has, as would basically any of the um, oligarchs now, is that there is a um, there's an elimination of the line between public and private. And in order to be to have a major corporations and to be uh, as powerful as Elon Musk, it is you know almost a requirement that you are involved with federal contracts. So he made a decision, which was a business decision, which the free marketeers tell us um, as a businessman he has the right to make. And um, there are people who are basically arguing that he should have been an arm of not just the U.S. government, but of the U.S. State Department and of a you know let's face it a a a fascist and and very violent um, Ukrainian leadership. So he did the right thing, and now um, we are all watching. Um, neoliberalism in action where a, there's a punishment for a person who does not allow their business to be a tool of the you know most extreme people in, the, in, in our government. It is actually a definition of fascism uh, that it becomes a corporate state where the corporations and the state machinery become one. And this is a point uh, Glenn Greenwald was making earlier today. Where does it say anywhere in the Constitution, in the law, or in the tenets of capitalism that the owner of a private business has any kind of obligation to carry out what are effectively military orders from the government of one of the states in which his business operates. That's fascism, you know. And in fact, if you look at the origins of neoliberalism in the 1970s in um, uh, in Chile, um, the people who started that neoliberal project, as it were, um, installed a fascist leader in a fascist government because the, the, it is the nature of neoliberalism that it needs um, totalitarian state control. And it only makes sense that it has reverted closer and closer to its roots as people like you and I um, provide a platform um, for uh, the average working person to um, to question what the empire is doing, to question their, their so-called leaders, um, these leaders get angrier and this system has to uh, crack down on us. And I think um, Elon Musk is learning the hard way that maybe the system that he believed in as a so-called free market system, a system that he um, was very successful in and made a lot of money of, has some significant flaws and it will turn its fangs and claws on him in a second if he refuses to um, adhere to the, again, the clearly fascist totalitarian um, uh, aims of, of, of the U.S. empire and the Biden administration and the neocons. I'm expecting that. Uh, now, let's turn to the latest perambulations uh, of your president. Uh, I don't know why he goes abroad so much. It seems to me that between his vacations and his overseas trips, it's no wonder that he hasn't visited East Palestine that he promised he would visit six months ago and where thousands of people still don't have clean drinking water in his own country, never mind a walk down Zombie Avenue in Philadelphia or L.A. Uh, he uh, is promising uh, infrastructural developments in Africa whilst your own infrastructure crumbles. But the 
in a way, the comic, although it might not have been funny to the Vietnamese, the, the comic Nadir was uh, the latest one, earlier today, when he asked the Vietnamese if they remembered the film Good Morning Vietnam before <laughs> bidding them a good evening Vietnam. A film about the United States genocidal mass murder of millions of Vietnamese. He made a joke out of it. It's, it's becoming almost unbelievable. I still think we've got a way to go, but they cannot be serious. As McEnroe would say, running this guy again, a year come November for another four year term, surely. Well, um, I do not believe that they're going to run Joe Biden. I believe that he is unable, um, cognitively unable to, um, you know, to go in front of crowds and to do the things he needs to do in stadiums and cheer, get people to cheer. And then he would ultimately have to debate the um, the the uh, Republican um, opposition, which they're trying to throw in jail. Um, and he's not competent to do that. So I believe they are looking for a way out for Joe Biden. And I believe that the House of Representatives um, impeachment inquiry, inquiry will provide them the offer if they need for Joe Biden. But but let's think about Vietnam. Where is he going to go? Is he going to go to Laos? Is he going to go to Cambodia? You know, again, the contradictions of the U.S. empire as uh, wh whoever would represent the Biden administration tries to build their um, uh, coalition against China, country after country that they go into, as I said, Laos and Com Cambodia, Indonesia, they go to countries that the U.S. has literally facilitated geno genocides in. So many countries in Asia, the U.S. has facilitated genocides in. There's There aren't a lot of places that we can go that won't um, uh, you know, basically get the same feelings or the same results. We can't talk about, the U.S. can't talk about the history. What about uh, South Korea and our ally Japan? Genocide there, uh, 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 rape and murder, et cetera. So the U.S. is trying to bring together a coalition of countries that have either um, genocided, attacked, or oppressed um, another group of countries, and they're trying to bring them together against China, another country who has suffered from colonialism at the West. I think, again, the, the contradictions are obvious, and I believe that the Biden administration is going to have a very difficult time building their anti-China anti coalition simply because of the historical context. Just like in Africa, the historical context is there. Uh, Vietnam told them uh, bluntly uh, during Biden's visit that uh, they have no intention at all of joining an anti-China concert party, which uh, I must tell you, the U.S. administration had invested some hopes uh, that they might because of historical enmity uh, between China and Vietnam. Russia, the Soviet Union, was the main ally of Vietnam during that long a period uh, of struggle. But the extraterritoriality of it all uh, doesn't boggle the minds of enough people, you know. I saw Blinken uh, or his spokesman warning North Korea against selling weapons and ammunition to Russia. This is the same North Korea that the United States decimated almost in my lifetime, finishing in, in 1953. I was born in 1954. The smoke was still in the air. 
from the 20% of people in Korea that were killed by the United States. And the United States has placed North Korea under the world's most draconian sanctions, at one point forcing the people literally to eat grass. I saw them do so. And they think they can give orders to North Korea about whom it should do business with, or even more extraordinary, Garland. The State Department accused a Chinese company of breaching sanctions by selling semiconductors made in China to another Chinese company. This was a breach of sanctions. God knows how they keep track of it all. But just ponder the chutzpah of that garland, threatening a Chinese company for selling Chinese products to another Chinese company. You know, as the world looks at the Biden administration, I know at times they want to laugh and at times they want to cry because of the uh, the nuclear threat from these lunatics. But it, one thing is obvious, the Biden administration is holding on to a time when the United States, you know, say the 1990s, early 2000s, when the U.S. had the um, the economic infrastructure around the world to make these kind of demands and that countries really had no choice other than to um, adhere to the, to, the, to the demands of the U.S. empire. However, one of the reasons the U.S. is so mad at China and so angry at China and Russia is because they, they, are, they have provided and are building an alternative economic infrastructure that allows countries to look in a, in a different direction. So they're living in a world that, you know, as is, has been said, um, neurotics build castles in the sky and psychotics live in them. Um, the Biden administration is living in a castle in the sky in which they can still tell everyone what to do. And, and fortunately for the rest of the world, that castle is crumbling and there are new castles of economic infrastructure, bricks, SEO, et cetera, that are being built. And it's not going to happen overnight, but within, I'd say, five to 10 years, the U.S.'s um, economic coercion methods will have pretty much dissipated. Any news on Michelle Obama? No, um, I, well, I'll put it like this. I, I will say this. Uh, you know, one of the things that um, is constantly pushed is that Michelle Obama will be running for president. You know, when we hear her name now, that's what everyone says. Are they going to go with Michelle Obama? And I don't think the system will allow her to run. If you look at the kinds of people that are allowed to run as president, it's very class based. They're generally people who come from the top one percent. They went to Harvard or whatever, but they went to boarding schools, etc. Michelle Obama comes from a working class family. I believe that the people in power are concerned that at some point she could revert to her roots or that she could view the world through the context of the working class. I mean, you know, if you go to the socialist countries, Maduro was a bus driver, uh, Pedro Castillo was a farmer. In the socialist countries, generally, you'll see people who come from the working class. I believe that the people in the neoliberal um, leadership are very much afraid of the working class. And even though she's married to Barack Obama, I don't think they would take a chance. So I think that's that. my thoughts on, on, on uh, Michelle Obama is all about whether or not she runs for president. And I don't see the system looking at a, a person of working class origins and seeing that as a viable option.